Whether you love them, hate them, don't understand them, or try to avoid them, 360 feedback assessments have been around a long time. And the shift in focusing 360s around strengths instead of weaknesses provides some very compelling reasons for them to stay. Welcome to the 90th percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast by Zenger Folkman. Each week, using research from over 1.5 million global leaders, we analyze different leadership traits, trends, and what it really takes for leaders to get to the 90th percentile. I'm your host, Brianna Corin, and with me today, I have someone who has built his fair share of 360 feedback assessments, Joe Folkman. Well, thanks, Bree. Where do we begin today? We'll start with a history lesson. During World War II, the Germans developed a system for assessing soldiers' performance by using the opinions of supervisors, peers, and subordinates to determine payment and promotions. But it was in the 1950s that the SO Research and Engineering Group was one of the first companies to document multi-source surveys. After their 360 experience, there was such a positive jump in productivity that the demand for multi-source feedback continued to grow. However, collecting all that information on paper and doing complex manual calculations was extremely difficult. Then along came computers and the internet. These technological advances made it possible for the 360 feedback process to grow. It was a long road, and not everyone was convinced that getting feedback was a good idea. It is now the 1980s. Entering the scene is a young, hip Joe Folkman, determined to shake up the industry. <laughs> is that about right? Well, yeah, Bree. Well, I was finishing my PhD. I worked with several of my graduate school professors who had pioneered the development of 360 feedback and assessments. And by the way, all those assessments were done on paper and our paper assessments shipped back and mailed back and hand. Oh, <laughs> sounds like a terrible process. It was hard. Back then, the standard approach was that while it was important for leaders to understand their strengths, the real improvement would primarily come from fixing weaknesses. People are obsessed with their weaknesses, so it wasn't difficult for them to take this approach. I still remember my first performance review that I had with my boss. I walked into his office, I sat down, and he started saying all these nice, positive things about me. I smiled and I was really enjoying listening to this, but then I heard that word, but. <laughs> uh, yeah. Guess what comes next? Well, next he talked about my weaknesses and when I left his office, guess what I was gonna work on? improving my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. The unintended consequences of continually using this approach was that for most people, a performance evaluation or a 360 feedback evaluation was a negative experience that leaders feared and disliked. And oh, by the way, the managers disliked as well. The intent was to evaluate their performance, but the reality was that their self-confidence took a hit and the participants became soured on the process. Well, the process seemed a little flawed. So you decided to look at it a different way. What if a leader took the time they were spending fixing little weaknesses and instead focused their energy on developing a skill they were already good at? First, 
I want you to understand that we define an outstanding strength as any competency that is rated by others at the 90th percentile. If a leader has absolutely no strengths, were they failures? No, but their overall leadership effectiveness rating was only at the 34th percentile. But if a leader had one strength, and it didn't matter which one, by possessing just one outstanding strength, their overall effectiveness score almost doubled to the 64th percentile. Why would leaders spend so much time fixing little weaknesses when working on something they were already good at and making it an outstanding strength would almost double their overall effectiveness? And if you really want to hear a depressing fact, to get at or above the 64th percentile in overall leadership effectiveness, using a fixing weaknesses approach would require that a leader have above average performance on 16 of the 19 competencies. Which approach makes more sense? Be very good at one or be above average on 16? Oh boy, that sounds like a tough math problem. (laughs) (laughs) One or 16? Well, that's true. And yet, leaders gravitated to fixing weaknesses rather than building strengths. Now, as we continued looking, we found that having just three strengths pushed a leader's effectiveness to the 81st percentile and five moved the leader to the top 10 of all leaders. In the past, we'd assumed that the best way for a leader to improve was to eliminate weaknesses. But this data strongly suggested that the most effective leaders were effective not because of the lack of weakness, but rather because of the presence of a handful of strengths. When you built a new 360 assessment that was focused around building strengths instead of exposing weaknesses, did people find it hard to adapt? I mean, did they, did they believe you that it was really a better approach? Well, the approach was then and still now a radical shift But once we explained the theory, many people would say that this approach completely changed their theory of the world. (laughs) Uh, The way people thought about personal improvement was so different. Most people imagined that in order to be a great leader, a person would need to be highly skilled at everything. They imagined that it was their weaknesses that stood out to others. And this is why they focused on improving their weaknesses. We often do an exercise where we ask people to think about an extraordinary leader and then ask them to describe their strengths. So people describe a leader as being inspiring or creative or concerned about their development or strategic or driven. Next, we ask them if the leader had any weaknesses. And they always hesitantly say, well, yes. But then we say, well, what were the weaknesses? And they say things like, well, they weren't very organized or they didn't know how to say no. And then I ask them, why didn't the weaknesses hurt them? And they say things like, well, we organized for them or we said no for them. Those things were not important. Turns out you don't need to be perfect to be an extraordinary leader. That, by the way, is my most favorite insight precisely because I am not perfect. But you can't completely ignore weaknesses. When did they get in the way of building strengths? Well, as I talk to groups, I often ask, is it possible that you might have a weakness? (laughs) Every (laughs) hand goes up. Of course. (laughs) 
everyone has some weaknesses, but there's a difference between a weakness and a fatal flaw. A fatal flaw is a significant weakness that impacts their overall effectiveness. Statistically, we define a fatal flaw as a competency at the 10th percentile. And people with one or more fatal flaw have an overall leadership effectiveness rating at the 18th percentile. Oh, that's low. Yeah, well, it really crushes their effectiveness. The problem is with fatal flaws that this is what defines you. It's the first thing people think about when they see you. It negatively impacts your other traits, but only 30% of leaders have a competency at the 10th percentile, which basically means that 70% of the leaders are free to focus on developing strengths. Interesting. So after all these changes, do you, do you enjoy the 360 feedback process more now that it's focused on the good and not so focused on the bad? Well, this research helped thousands of leaders change the way they approach their development. It has also changed the way they think about performance evaluations and 360 feedback and development in general, moving it from a totally negative experience to a positive empowering social development. If you're a leader who wants to improve, find something you're good at and become great at that skill. It will make a significant difference in your career and your life. If you're leading others, help them identify one trait that could significantly impact their ability to be successful in their current job. Doing that one thing well will not only improve their performance, but it will substantially increase their self-confidence. And now you know a little bit more about 360s. The 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast, was written and recorded by Brianna Corin and Joe Folkman, with music by Pleasant Pritchers and produced by Zenger Folkman. If you liked our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leave us a review. For more information about Zenger Folkman's leadership assessment offerings and to see what research we referenced in this episode, go to zengerfolkman.com slash podcast.